Hey, Brian. What's up, Andre? Who have you got on your show for this episode? We got Brian Breaker. What is Brian Breaker going to talk about this time? Uh, I got more questions to ask him, and we're going to find out what his reviews of the final three figures from the 1984 LJN line are. So he's going to uh, review and rate the Iron Sheik, Hulk Hogan, and Roddy Piper. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, you know what else it is? Uh, what's that? It's his birthday. It, uh, one of these days, it may be today, this is coming out, people hear it for the first time, but uh, happy 38th birthday, Brian Breaker. Yes, happy birthday, Brian. Um, thanks for uh, being a part of this show. Uh, let me get you on here, and uh, we'll talk to you in person. I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say. So am I. Hey everyone, this is 80s wrestling fan Brian, and I'm excited to have Brian Breaker back back on the show. This is uh, episode 54 of Legendary Wrestling Figures. Um, Brian's got a birthday coming up, so happy 38th birthday. How are you doing, my friend? I am doing well, Brian. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me back on the show, man. Yeah, you bet. We've got uh, three more figures in this uh, first run of nine 1984 LJN figures to go over. It'll be... Uh, Iron Sheik, Hulk Hogan, and Roddy Piper. Um, before we do that, I'll, I've got to ask you some more questions about uh, Harley Race Academy and also your wrestling career, if that's cool with you. Definitely, man, for sure. Awesome. Yeah, I was wondering, um, I know that you said that uh, uh, Harley would lock up with you on, the, you know, outside of the ring and kind of and, and give you advice and everything. I was wondering, did he have any... Um, did he have any etiquette training, like uh, how to go around the locker room and shake hands with everybody when you got there, or or did or if you guys were taught to have a, a strong grip on the handshake, or if they were still doing the old uh, kind of like dead fish handshake, or any other memories about uh, uh, wrestling etiquette that Harley might have uh, tried to instill in all of you? It's interesting that you bring up the dead fish handshake, because um, I know a lot of people are not familiar with that, so... To give everyone kind of a rundown, if people don't know, that was kind of, I guess, almost a signal, hey, I'm in the business back in the day, right? So most people give a strong, firm grip on a handshake. Uh, Most of us are taught that, hey, if you shake a man's hand, you know, look him in the eye, strong, firm grip, all that stuff. Well, in wrestling, it kind of got away from that to this really loose, very, very faint handshake, and it was a a way to show, Hey, I, I work light was the, uh, I think the idea behind it. And, um, some people still do it. I've never been a fan and, uh, Harley absolutely hated it. If anyone was curious, um, the one thing, that's, too, what, I'll, that's I'll, what I wanted to know. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was not a fan and he, he shook everyone's hand. Like you would expect a man like Harley to shake someone's hand. And, um, it was interesting one thing I, I haven't really touched on that would be probably interesting for people to know, because no one's probably ever thought of this. And this was kind of, I guess, the only negative of training in the Harley Race Academy. Anytime somebody would say something that I didn't agree with, they'd always like, well, you know, I know that's how Harley does it. And I'm like, no, it's not. Well, you know, I, I've heard that's, yeah, that's how he does it. He likes this. He like, no, I'm like, no. 
and it, it got it really got it started to get to me because it's like you know we were all like we're you know I don't need validation from Harley on everything right I know at a certain point I, I became very comfortable with what I was doing and I knew I could I could work with anyone and I was I was capable enough to have a good match with anybody but for instance I had a promoter one time trying to uh he was trying to pull some carny stuff on me I called him on it and he said well I'll, I'll call Harley and I'm like oh you're gonna call dad and it really ticked him <laughs> off when I said that because I was like call him and the reason I said that is I was like guess what that man has had my back on anything ever since the first day I met him. So call him. And I was like, you want his number? I got to sell. I got his house number. You want to call him? Go ahead. And of course, obviously the guy was, was full of crap because he knew he was pulling crap. And the next day I called Harley. I said, like, hey, I had a question. Did some random weird promoter call you? And he's like, no. And I was like, well, this guy was trying to pull some crap on me. And I kind of told him what he was doing. He goes, well, don't fall for it. Don't work for that son of a bitch. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know nice. if I cuss on here or not. But, um, totally. but that's, that's, that's who Harley was. So unfortunately, one of the things a lot of us dealt with from time to time was people trying to utilize his name against us. Like, oh, I know that things are this way because you were, you were, you're a Harley guy. And I'm like, that has nothing to do with anything about what you're talking about so uh, a small little tangent there but but you know the thing is with Harley he did he did treat us as his kids and he did take very good care of all of us he was always very um conscious of injuries and making sure we were all safe and if anyone so you know and being young in the business guys are wanting to do you know dives to the floor and things like that and Harley was always leery of that stuff because he, he wanted us to make sure we had good long careers if that's what we wanted to do. And, uh, you know, he would always say, like, guys, look how I walk around. And I didn't do half the crazy stuff you guys are doing. So think about the decisions you're making. So he was always very thoughtful in that regard. That's great to hear. Yeah, I love that. And um, last time we were talking, I talked a little bit about your match with Marshall Von Erich from 2011. I think it was one of, if not his first matches. And, and I was mentioning how you had these, a lot of your moves that reminded me of guys. I forgot to uh, mention that your elbow drop was very reminiscent of road warrior Hawk. So I don't know if that's what you were going for, but uh, you got great height on it. It was impressive. So just wanted to throw that out there uh, since I forgot to last time, but uh, well, yeah. it's one of those things. If you can jump a little bit, you try to throw that in there when you can, you know. Totally. And then um, before I, you know, before talking to you right now, I watched a match from 2015. It was uh, almost uh, eight years ago, so it was October 31st, so Halloween 2015, and you were you were up against Tim Storm, and you had a definite heel role in the match. Um, one of the things I saw you do is. He was struggling to get his, it was probably his finisher, the the iron claw. He was struggling to get that onto you for much of the match. And when he finally did, you were able to bra um, break out of it with a, uh, there was like a three move combo you did that I thought was really nice. Cause so often you'll see guys do clothesline after clothesline. They'll do three or four clotheslines in a row, but you hit him with a, an open handed uppercut to the throat. You hit him with a clothesline and then you did a back elbow smash to him. And it was just a real nice combo. And I was like, okay, that's, that's some good, uh, uh, it was just a good way to put the moveset together. Um, and I was um, also watching you before that you would, 
you had gotten hit and you were bent over and he went off the ropes. I'm like, okay, this is kind of a lot of, a lot of time here where he's still bent over. And as he went to go for a knee lift or hit you, you raised up out of that and, and hit him. So, I mean, it was just something where your match was really making sense story-wise to me. And, uh, and I just wanted to commend you on that and, and, and say, you know, the way that you were able to go from different moves that were unexpected, it was just, uh, it was nice watching your work. And, uh, and then the knee drop off the second rope, I wanted to ask you how painful those uh, knee drops could be, because it looks like it maybe just turning 30 years old, maybe here uh, eight years later, it wouldn't be something you'd be as excited about doing a knee drop off the second rope. I didn't, I don't remember doing a knee drop off the second rope, but I can guarantee you, I uh, probably did regret that sometime after um though i do remember the match though uh tim storm was um he obviously uh, um he's a former nwa champion now uh, as most people know probably have seen him on nwa power and such great great dude um I had, a, I had a lot of fun with that match and that was one where i was having like some car trouble before the show i had no one to ride with which is kind of a common thing in wrestling but it's also kind of like oh god i have nobody to, i have nobody i'm going with so i was able to make the show which i really wanted to obviously i to work with tim was um was a, a real joy and he was just super giving as a as an opponent and willing to do anything um that i wanted to do he said any bumps you want to give me he said just give it to me like and and he was and he was beat up too before the match so um as we often are but he was a very giving opponent. And, you know, that's another thing, too, with wrestling, because um, that reminds me of a whole other story. I wrestled the guy one time, and I wanted to do something, and he was all like, ah, how about we do this? I think that'll look so much better. And all it was, he just didn't want to take the bump I was going to do. Which, to me, just have that respect. Like, hey, man, I'm hurting. I, I really don't. I don't really want to do that. I will if you want to, but I, I, I'm just hurting tonight because I'd have been like, oh, yeah, that's no problem. But at the same time, he wants to give me bumps, and that's okay. So it's a little bit of a uh, hypocritical, I guess. But Tim was not that way at all. Tim was an absolute pleasure to be in the ring with. I was uh, – one, one regret I do have is I always wanted to have a rematch with him for the NWA title just because I, I always thought that would have been cool to at least challenge for that one time with Harley's lineage in that same title, of course that never happened, but I was, I was always hopeful. Um, but no, like I said, it was, it was a great match. I appreciate the, uh, the compliments, the uh, throat chop that you're talking about was actually, um, that was actually given to me by uh, Vader or I don't say, I don't say given to me, but uh, he, he showed us that one time and I was like, Oh, that's a really cool thing. Right. Because you can kind of hit the guy uh, more in the chest, but they can kind of, sell the throat right the illusion of you got him in the throat and i think most of us understand like how delicate a shot to the throat would be so i always thought that something like that was uh was a cool move and it adds a, a slightly different dynamic because you mentioned you know clothesline 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 which is common and you know and if anyone watches wrestling today you know you see a lot of super kicks a lot of the same stuff and i feel like when you see a lot of the same stuff over and over again becomes a little um monotonous and forgettable and then it just becomes oh that's just their thing that they just have to do their moves or those are the moves they have to do 
And, and and so often I think we see guys doing stuff just for the sake of doing stuff. And I always wanted to try to, to throw something in different as often as I could, whether it be, uh, you know, a shot to the throat or, you know, so in some matches I would stomp a guy's foot. Someone recommended that early on. I'm like, well, that's good. Like, you don't see that, right? But a good stomp to the foot, everyone knows what that feels like. So it makes sense as a heel to – you know, because we all have seen the eye rake, we've all seen the uh, pulling, pulling the hair, but actually stomping a guy's foot or grabbing him by the ears or doing something that's like it's, it's a little bit different and still heelish. Definitely. Is your uh, does your pup need to take a break? No, uh, she's okay. She's just whining. Get up here. Come here. <laughs> whining. I wasn't I forget? She's the pit, isn't she? Yeah, her name's Cookie. She's uh she's the sweetest dog in the world, but she loves attention and. If I'm over here talking, she's just like, why aren't you uh, looking at me right now? So the second I started talking to her, she completely stopped. Oh, of course. Yep. How nice. Yep. Well, uh, yeah, that chop to the throat is definitely Vader-esque. And so I totally see that. And then you also hit him with a boot to the face. I was like, damn, Brian was limber. And uh, and along with that, you took a Harley bump where you went backwards over the ropes. And uh, uh, the camera guy didn't get you hitting the floor. But uh, but when you took that back bump over the ropes, uh, you ended up on the floor for a, a decent amount of time. But I was I was just like, that's classic Harley right there. Is that uh, back going flipping over the ropes just the right way? So uh, oh, yeah. it, it was just fun seeing uh, at, uh, in a match in 2011, and then watching another one when you'd been in the in the business for eight years. And I was kind of wondering too. I'm I'm guessing maybe early on you probably worked more babyface, and as you went switched heel and, and called the match more often or did you kind of refer to whoever the uh, the more veteran, uh, opponent was yeah I, uh, I I did baby face early on quite a bit I, I always felt more natural as a heel and um, unfortunately for me I often got more baby face responses and that used to frustrate me early on like uh, I'm a villain I'm a bad guy but you know, I had the long hair at the time and, you know, I think the more of a baby face look. So I embraced it as I got in the business for a little bit, but um, I always pretty well. And I got this from Harley. He said, call your match. You know, it's your match. Call it. He said, now you can give here and there, but always be in control. And that was always something I kind of took to heart, especially as I got more, um, comfortable with stuff and always making sure I knew like I was in charge of this match. And if, if things went sideways, I knew I could always put them back together. So I always took that very seriously. So I, I always used to call most of the matches. I certainly would give people their stuff where they wanted it and things of that nature. But I always tried to try to maintain that as, especially after I got, you know, five, six years in more of the, uh, the veteran role. Yeah, I know before you said when you were early on when you were first starting, it was um, one of the most difficult things you said was just being able to hear the subtle um, things that the guys you were working with were, were telling you to do. So it, would, it was probably helpful being that guy where instead of having to listen for those subtle messages of, of what's next, being the guy in charge of that and being able to guide it that, uh, you know, guides and gives the, the commands of what's coming up. Oh, for sure. Well, and also, too, a lot of it's not even so much that you don't hear it. You don't process it enough, right? So if someone's running at you with their arm like a clothesline and they say duck, 
it does take your brain a half a second or so to register what that means, right? And so it's it's so hard to be like duck, uh, you know. And then you realize, oh, I need to duck, and it's it's too late now. I uh, I learned this from Arn Anderson, and I, I always thought it was such a valuable thing. He said he never let his opponent get too far away. And the reason was, he said, if he's, if he's, and, and watch Arn sell. If anyone's listening and, and they like watching uh, 80s wrestling, watch Arn Anderson sell for a baby face. If you notice, he pretty much always stays an arm's length away. He'll use the ropes, he'll use them, but he's kind of like, boom, he gets hit, he comes right back to him. Boom, he gets hit, he's right back up, right to him. The reason is, he's like, that way, if I keep them close, I don't have to worry about a communication issue. You know, I can. Yeah, that's awesome it, advice. And yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's it's one of those things where, and as we get into wrestling, we realize to me the art of of what wrestling is is little subtleties. Like I can, I was watching Bobby Eaton the other day. I'm sure you're obviously familiar with Midnight Express, and yeah. um, I, I watched him do that top rope leg drop, and I watched it in slow motion. And I'm I'm talking, he is just over the guy's heads, not touching him, but I mean, it is picture perfect. Now, to someone who's not a fan, they might be like, well, he didn't touch him. To me, I'm like, that's amazing that he didn't touch him. Like, that's how many people can say they could take a a guy like Bobby Eaton, who's 6'2", probably, 230, 240, jump full body off the top rope and land on a guy's head and not even touch them. But it's so close that that it looks like he does. Like, that's art. And he's literally got his butt on one side of the guy's head and his heel on the other side and making that letter A over him where he physically doesn't touch him. But if you're in the crowd, you can't tell. It's amazing. So, yeah, I saw that same clip slow motion. Yeah. And that's it's gorgeous. Right. And, and so to me, I, I've always looked at stuff like that. I'm like, that's that's incredible that pro wrestlers can pull stuff like that off. It's just insane to me. But the, but like what I was going back to what I was saying with Arn Anderson, he kept the guy close. He said that way there's no room for error because there's, and we've all been in that situation as a wrestler where you get thrown into the corner and you have no idea what's coming. Right. So you have to kind of watch the guy and think, okay, do I take this? Do I give him a boot? Do I give him an elbow? Like what's he expecting? So especially with, with younger guys, I always let them process the information because my whole thought is like, we don't have to go into anything quickly, especially if it's not a television match. It's a live event. There's not a strict time limit. Like, so I may have him down on the mat and be like, all right, I'm going to shoot you in the corner. I want you to give me a boot. You got it? Yeah. Tell me what it is. Oh, you're going to shoot me in the corner and then I'm going to give you a boot. Okay. Then I shove him in the corner. Then I give him a shot. Then I shoot him off. And so the spot's called now. He knows what he's doing. He's confident what he's doing. I take off. Boom. I take the boot. And now like he's on top so he can grab me, do whatever he needs to do. But it's like, we're already. So anyway, like that's, that's one of those little tricks I, I learned from veterans of like, cause what you'll see a lot sometimes with independent wrestling is, the guy will be in the corner. He'll give him a shot. And as he's shooting him off, he'll say, give me a boot. Well, that sometimes can be like, wait, I didn't hear it. I did, what did you say? I did. I missed it. I'm lost. Did you say, give me a boot? Did you say, watch the boot? Did you, like what, you know? And so now you end up with the guy running at him and you see that awkward exchange sometimes. So that's to me like where I learned 
a lot was from veterans. Slow down, speak eloquently if you can. Sometimes you have to talk like a caveman with fewer words, but speak clearly so they understand, but do it in a, at a period where you're taking your time because smooth looks fast in pro wrestling. When you're trying to rush things, people can usually notice that. Yeah. And the, you know, the art of selling it so many times, even on, you know, WWE uh, you'll be watching and it's like they sell hard and then immediately it looks like, okay, now I'm ready for this spot. And they just quit selling immediately and jump into the next spot. And it's like, well, there's something to be said for the old guys and that slow down advice Mm -hmm. and the anticipation of the audience and, uh, and just, you know, taking a little time to tell the story instead of rushing it. So I, I definitely appreciate what you're saying. Well, there was a match early on I, in one of the SummerSlams, and I think it was Jake Roberts and Hercules, but I don't quote me on that. I know it was yeah. Jake. I know it was Jake, but I can't. I think it was Hercules he was working. But first one it was, yeah, nineteen eighty-eight. Right. Okay. So yeah, you know the match. And there's a spot in there where where Hercules is on top. He's giving some heat to Jake. Jake, out of desperation, simply grabs a hammerlock, and right as he goes to cinch it up, Hercules gives him a back elbow. And Jake goes right back into the cell. And I'm like, man, that's good stuff. You know, like he's hurting. He's trying to get something from this muscle bound strong man like Hercules. And just as quick as he gets the whole bam, he takes an elbow. He's right back down. But that's throwaway today, right? Like we throw that stuff away where guys will take right. an elbow. They won't eat. Like you were saying, they, they, they register it. They sell it. Oh, but then the next thing you know, they're doing a drop kick or something. And yes, and they're not registering like i just got elbowed in the face sometimes i think that's where the disconnect with pro wrestling lies and i've often equated that's why maybe more people believed it in the 80s because you didn't throw things away like that right like i mean and i've seen it too where a guy's taking a low blow and two seconds later he's hitting a small package then he comes up and he's running a comeback and i'm like didn't you just get hit in the nuts like i think most of us know you're down for a minute, you know, like this is going to be a, a process of you being in a lot of pain. So, or, or a poke to the eyes, right? I I'm sure we've all seen the good old, you know, three stooges poke to the eyes. It's a classic, especially in, in old school wrestling, but imagine poking a guy in the eyes and then shoot him into the ropes. Like that doesn't work. Like you're, if you get poked in the eyes, you're not going to be able to see clearly for several minutes. Totally. You know, you know what I mean? I think sometimes it's easy to dissect it too much in this industry, but that's just some stuff that's always kind of been bothersome to me, I guess, as it were. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And that's, uh, I know that, you know, everybody knows what's going on more now than they did back then, though we had an idea about it, Yeah, but it's still, uh, I don't know. It almost makes it an excuse to not sell as much as like, well, anybody, everybody knows anyway, but it's like, well, but still, if you could, uh, keep that illusion going it just to me it just works better so yeah and like to you as well no i agree and and i think that's that to me is one of the weirdest excuses to say like oh well everybody knows so we don't have to quote unquote protect the business i've never i've never liked that like uh, to me that should be more of a reason to keep it as tight as possible i'm not and i'm not saying you can't you know say or do certain things but it's like you have to like to me like i I always go back to marvel movies because you know not so much now but three four years ago marvel movies were the biggest movies in in the movie theaters right 
people were sure. going in droves to see the Avengers and Iron Man and Captain America. Me too. I love I love all those movies. But I'm like, think about these plots. A group of superheroes get together to fight an alien invasion. This is not realistic stuff. But we all are like fully invested. We're fully into it. We're we're paying top dollar to go to a theater to watch this movie and and gladly doing it. So to me, it's not so much about that this isn't real because that's not real either. We all know it's not real. We suspend our disbelief. Wrestling, I think, very much can be the same thing. And there's some guys, I think, right now that are very good at it. Um, and I think that's the uh, that's the key is getting people invested in what's happening. Like, I don't watch a ton of current stuff, but I think, uh, you know, Adam Copeland now, Edge, uh, shows up in AEW. And he's got a little something going on with Christian Cage, his former friend. They've not done a lot, but they've kind of teased, teased some stuff. It's got me like, oh, I kind of want to see where they're going with this. You know, like that's to me the key to getting the hook in wrestling, making people want to watch what you're doing. Definitely. And then, um, you know, I, I meant to ask you last time a couple of real basic questions, but uh, do you remember your first opponent, first match, and your last opponent, last match? I do. Uh, first opponent was Dinty Moore. Uh, he is currently at, known as the Beer City Bruiser. He was uh, working pretty regularly for Ring of Honor before they were bought out. And um, I think he's uh, injured right now, last I heard, but he still hits the independence up. He's up in, uh, I believe, in North Carolina these days. But great guy, great worker. He was very, um, he was very giving to me, being so so green. And um, he was very good about making sure that I, I was put in situations where I could uh, I could shine the most. Really, really good friend of mine. Um, he was my first ever match. My last match, as of yet, I don't know if I've totally had my last match yet, but for now, I uh, was a guy named Michael Wolf here in Oklahoma uh, back in uh, 2017, late 2017. Yeah. And how did that go? And how was... Uh... Uh, you know, when you got out of the ring, did you kind of know that you were going to take a little break for a while or I knew I was going to take a break. I had kind of had a story going with him and I've always been big on, I want to do the favors like for guys. Like I, like my goal is if I see someone I want to work with, ideally I want to get them. I want to put them over in the end. That's usually my mindset. Now, the the thing with that is what people need to understand is like you have to be built up to put someone over to make that matter. That's kind of a thing. Yeah. But um we ended up kind of rushing that a little little quicker than we were wanting to. Um I don't want to go too much into detail, but basically me and the promoter had a, a big falling out of sorts and you know it was kind of decided at this point like, well maybe I'll just wrap up tonight and I'll drop the title to him and then I'll kind of go about my business. Everything seemed okay. And I was planning to come back a few months later, but then, uh, you know, a bunch of things kind of got, he, he essentially what happened is he accused me of trying to get everyone to leave the company too. And I'm like, dude, I'm not wrestling. Where am I going to get them to go? Like come right. over to my house to watch TV. Like that's, I'm not, 
I had so I have several good friends in Missouri for my time in uh, WLW, and they were all, several of them were coming up and doing shows in Oklahoma for this promoter, probably twice a month or so. And I to- I was like I told them, hey, if you want to keep working here, please do. You can stay at my place anytime. So like, why would I anyway? So long story long, we kind of just went our separate ways, and uh, that was the the last match I had as of yet. So. I would like to get another match in my uh, truth be told. My nephew cannot, he cannot see straight because he wants me to wrestle so bad. So uh, never say never. I, I, I will admit here. I've been getting itchy to do it again. Um, Full time. Definitely not. But here or there, I think would be kind of fun. So we'll see. Well, that and uh as your nephew watched all the internet matches that you've got out there, like on YouTube and everything, do you guys, um, has he sat there with you and watched any of them? He has watched absolutely everything. That kid lives on YouTube as most, uh, nine year olds do. And, uh, he'll randomly come up to me and ask me about a match that I had in 2008. And I'm like, I, I don't even like know what you're talking about, you know? So, uh, but yeah, he, he's definitely seen them all for sure. Very nice. And I was wondering if you ever got to, uh, uh, or if it happened often, if you got to wrestle in front of your folks or your dad or anybody. Yeah, I did. Uh, they, my parents actually, um, it was, it was very ironic because my dad was a bit of a wrestling fan, not a huge fan, but he did enjoy it. My mom, not so much. And my very first match was in a town called El Dorado Springs, Missouri. And Harley's wife at the time, BJ was, uh, like, hey, where do your parents live? And I was like, oh, they live in, you know, around Tulsa, Oklahoma. Well, they looked it up. El Dorado Springs is only like two hours away. And they were like, well, if they're going to come to an event, this would be the one to come to. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I let my parents know, hey, I'm going to have my first match like on this day in March, whatever it was. And they're like, oh, really? And I'm like, yeah. And so they ended up having like 30 people make the drive up to that, to that, uh, to that town to watch me debut. And, special yeah so it was, it was definitely a cool thing and um ended up having like what's funny is that we had a really good crowd that night and i was like wow this is awesome we you know we had probably 250 300 people which for independent wrestling in the midwest was was very good and yeah. we, w- we went to that town a few other times after that and drew like crickets it was like 60 people so it was <laughs> that first one was like oh, this, this town's awesome and after that i was like yeah not so much but um no that was that was always cool but what was funny is my mom was coming to me and told me, it's like, you know what is so cool about wrestling is like you can yell at the bad guys and, and like call them stupid and yell at them. And, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I know mom. Like I've, I've watched this my whole, whole life. How have you never picked up anything about wrestling? But, it, but again, and as you know, with live wrestling, it's definitely a different experience than when you're um, watching on television, right? It's more interactive. You're getting to to yell out. You're getting to to cheer, getting to high five the good guys, boo the bad guys, and and you know Dinty was so giving, like he was he was so smart. He realized that I had the crowd because I had the hometown advantage, so he knew to put himself in situations to to make himself look dumb, so he could you know things like hey. And Dinty kind of worked in a way where it's a little AWA style because that's kind of where he came from was milwaukee so he did a lot of the awa spots but they worked a lot in the midwest and that was always something that i found interesting 
like where he'd look at the crowd and be like, now he's going to get it. And he run and I dropped toe hold him. Right. So then now he looks dumb and he comes up holding his face and it, it's, it's, it's goofy and it's silly, but a live crowd loves that. Right. They love the interaction. They love like, Oh no, you got it. You're stupid. You know? And, and they, the kids can, can have fun with it. But that's also to me, what makes wrestling special. Anyone can enjoy that no matter what age, if you just sit back and, and, and watch it for what it is, it's just, it's, it's fun. Well, that, and like you said, it was probably your mom's first time going to see live wrestling. So that kind of wrestling is like perfect for people that are there, like checking wrestling out for the first time. It really spells out what's going on and, and makes it so they're eager to cheer and get excited about it. Well, for sure. And that's what I always tried to tell guys on, uh, on live events is like, Hey guys, you know, let's try to make people fans tonight. Like, because inevitably, if you're a wrestling fan, you know someone who is not. So most people are bringing someone with them. So if you're, if you're a guy and you're dating a girl and you're like, hey, let's go to wrestling, she's probably thinking like, oh, God. But try to make her a fan. Like, focus on that. Like, try to make the show as, as entertaining as possible. And to me, like, that's always been my goal with, with any time I was on a show is just try to make sure people had fun try to find someone and interact with them, try to say something to them, try to give them a look. If they like, if uh, I'll, I'll never forget this as long as I live, it was one of the funniest things. I was at a live event when I was uh, at high school uh, for WWE and the opening match was Christian and Shelton Benjamin and Christian's in the ring. And he still has the uh, long hair at the time. I think, um, I think he still had it then. Um, but he's, um, <clears throat> he may have had the short hair. I'm not sure, but regardless, he's in the ring and he's kind of doing, it's when he was doing the Christian Christian part of his career. And the crowd kind of gets quiet and I go, Christian, you suck. And his backs to me and he just slightly turns his head and just looks in absolute disgust. But it was so, it was so, hilarious the way he like acknowledged it just a little bit but not enough to be like you know where like he said anything but it was just like it was great and it immediately made my night right Definitely. Like that's you know what i mean and everyone around me was laughing and it's just like how could you not be entertained by that if you're sitting in the crowd if you're not a wrestling fan like that that's fun stuff where else can you go and just yell yell hey you suck you're a piece of crap you know like to to, to strangers it's that's what makes wrestling fun. And I think sometimes people get caught up in what it is. They're like, oh, wrestling's not real. So I can't, I can't get into it. And like, do you watch reality television? Like that stuff's not real. No television shows real. It's all, it's all work. But the difference with wrestling is it's, it's its own thing. So take a step back and enjoy it. Totally. And then uh, I, I was also wondering, um, I know we talked first last opponents, but did you have uh, uh, one opponent that stands out as like your favorite to work with? Was it a guy in Japan or was it uh, somebody here in the States or is it too hard to narrow them down? Well, that, that is hard to narrow down. I have a couple of people that I would, I would throw out there. Um, Hiroshi Tanahashi from all for, excuse me, from new Japan and uh, Nomichi Marafuji from pro wrestling. Noah are probably the two best guys I've ever been in the ring with as far as just how flawless they were, like just insanely good. And it was, it would be hard not to mention them there. Uh, but then I got to throw it to my buddy, uh, Jack Gamble, because 
he is a big reason I think I got on the radar with WWE when I when I did sign my deal. Yeah, I had some distortion when you said his name, so could you say it one more time? Because I remember you um, had him on, uh, uh, so you know it's fake, right? If I if I don't remember or if I'm remembering correctly, so yeah. um, what was his name again? Before you keep going, yeah, his name's Jack Gamble, and um, this was in 2011. I was being looked at, and I knew I was being looked at, and it was kind of one of those things like, hey, we're we're excited to watch your match tomorrow. Okay, so I knew I I, I had to bring it. And Harley asked who I wanted to work with. And me and him had, had worked around in the camp uh, at Harley's camp that year a little bit and had some really good stuff going, just really, really clicking. And I was like, I want to work with him. And he's like, you sure? I'm like, yeah, I, I think that's who I want to work with. And um, I was the champion at the time and he was kind of a more underneath guy, but I thought, you know what, let's, let's do it. And he, um, I kind of told him, I was like, Hey man, this is, this is what it is. Like I, I, I'm getting looked at. So I need to kind of showcase myself. I was like, but I want my goal for this match. My story I want to tell is I want you to have a ton of false finishes to where people legitimately think you have this one. And, you know, he was a little undersized for, for pro wrestling, especially at that time. And, you know, I was, I was, I was the leanest I had ever been. I was in the best shape I'd ever been. And we just absolutely had this just perfect match in, in a lot of ways. There's some things about it I would love to change, but in general, like almost everything we did worked. And when we finally hit the finish, which I, I, I went, I was doing this big power bomb at the time. And, uh, I kept hooking and he kept getting out. I kept, you know, and I would catch him in another way. I'd spin him around. I had him up and he got out of it and it was back and forth. And he was hitting, uh, moon salts and four fifties and all this stuff. And it was just all so close, so close. We, I felt the gasp of like, Oh, what I would kick out. And I was like, man, I've never felt this before. Like we've really got him. And I remember like the last thing was he was going to miss the four fifty. And then I was going to scoop him up for the uh, power bomb from there. And he was like, he hit the ground so hard. It just knocked the wind out of him. He was like, cause you know, he has to have so much momentum to turn. And yeah. then, then to, he said to face plan, he's like, that hurts so bad. But he said, as soon as you pick me up, I was like, Oh, thank God we're done. <laughs> and, and like when I hit the move, it was just kind of like, Oh, like they knew that was it. And it, to me, like, it just felt like, okay, that's exactly the match I needed. Everyone was very happy with it. And then I talked to some guys in the locker room who I had a lot of respect for. And they were like, that was the best match you could have had. You showcased yourself. You told a good story. And you made people believe he was going to win. When on paper, if you look at you two, that's a hard story to tell, but you made it believable. So that match will always hold a special place in my heart because it, it, it all came together well. And oddly enough, we've never been able to recapture that since. Any match we had after paled in comparison to that one it just for whatever reason stars kind of aligned just right that night so cool is that one uh one of the ones that got caught on camera or is that uh, uh just forever in your in your memories it, it was filmed and that footage has been lost unfortunately so uh leave the memories alone on that one i guess well you know if somebody out there <laughs> on a chance and a prayer <laughs> 
as that match. Uh, contact Brian Breaker or uh, legendary wrestling f- uh, figures host, uh, 80s wrestling fan Brian, so we can get uh, get that back on YouTube somehow. Yeah, I know Gamble himself was looking for it for a long time, and he found it, and uh, we don't know where that footage went. So it was on a DVD, and we were going to convert it, put it on YouTube, you know, back when YouTube YouTube was still relatively new at the time, and we were going to put it up there. And don't know where that's at now, unfortunately. Uh, maybe someday. Uh, also wondered if you ever uh, – I know that you got to train with Daniel Cross. He was the, the trainer that uh, greeted you when you arrived at the Harley Race Academy. Did you wrestle Daniel Cross very often? Never did. He actually was wrapping up his time in uh, Eldon, Missouri, right around the time I debuted. So he left in like, I want to say December of 20 or of 2007. And I debuted in March of 08. So we never had a match. You know, you guys could uh, accidentally get into a worked shoot on the rumble wheel and have a uh, blow off match. (laughs) It's, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely possible Now we've rolled around in the ring and stuff, but Never had an actual match. Um, I do know he's had uh, quite a few back problems. And at times he would uh, like literally drive up to the school and, hey, is anyone available to roll around? And he'd roll around for like two hours and be like, all right, I'm good. I'm, I'm hurt. <laughs> and that was, that was kind of it. And I think that's just, um, you know, just because, uh, you know, this takes a toll on your body. And um, I think in his mind, Certainly, I'm the same way. Like, we want to still wrestle, but it just, you start to realize how, how hard it is to maintain that at a high level. Yeah, totally. Have you, um, have you watched the uh, Wrestlers series on Netflix yet? I have not, but I've heard good things. I do plan to watch it, though. Cool. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, I've seen it um, and I enjoyed it. And uh, I don't want to throw a spoiler out there, but uh, but yeah, it is cool to see um, guys that thought they might have been done in the business get into the business, and guys that are uh, uh, you know getting up there closer to my age than your age that are still doing it. It's uh, it's pretty impressive to see the the toll that their bodies take and the uh, the amount of uh, I don't know work and and struggle yeah. that goes into it. Well, and I know I know you're more of an 80s fan, but I mean look at Sting. You know, Sting finally shows up in the WWE. He's in his late 50s. He has a couple of matches. Gets hurt, retires, goes in the Hall of Fame. And that's pretty much it. We think, well, that's it for Sting. Then he signs with, with AEW and it's like, "Oh, okay. Well, I guess he's going to be like a manager." Like, "Oh, well maybe he'll do a couple of cinematic matches." You're like, "Oh, okay. That's that's fine." Basically, it's like a fight scene. You can keep him protected. And that's like three years ago. Now he's like diving off of balconies and stuff. It's like, that's crazy to me. But I'm so, I feel like he's, he's loving what he's doing. And I think that that's awesome. So yeah, I know Sting's like 63, 64, but it's freaking Sting. Like, I think that's awesome, personally. It's- I, just, I, I really dig it. Yeah, it's a throwback to like Terry Funk, you know, just going your whole life. So. Yeah. It really yeah. is. Yeah, very cool. Would you have to put, uh, I don't know, Sting's probably in your uh, very tippity-top of all-time favorites, I'm guessing. He's up there. Um, 
you know, I think Sting was my huge draw to WCW early on. Sting and the Steiners, for sure. There's just something about Sting in those early days. I And I will always be a sucker for, like, Surfer Sting, you know, the uh, the blonde flat top and stuff. Yeah, me too. Uh, uh, always been one of my favorites. So um, Sting's definitely up there. Yeah, because I think he was just – he. To me, he was just this really cool guy, you know, like who didn't want to be like Sting when they were a kid. It was just super fun to watch him. Yeah, and I know you've gone back and seen a lot of the stuff that I grew up watching, so you've, you're aware of pretty much all of it, but you would have been hitting uh, oh, prime fandom right around when Hulk was like NWA type of stuff. Did you, uh, uh, did you like um, NWO Hulk Hogan? I know you, that you were more impressed by the wrestling that went on on WCW before Hulk arrived and the way that they did their matches. Um, you had talked about it on uh, either TV toy cast or the rumble wheel. Uh, I think it was the rumble wheel just recently, how you'd been watching some early nineties WCW and how great the matches were. And then Hulk arrived and it kind of went more story than it was um, quality of matches in the ring. But uh, did you prefer Oh, I don't know, NWO Hulk and black boots or when he started wearing white boots or did you prefer red and yellow Hulk? What was the, when you were a kid, which, what was your favorite version of Hulk as you were watching live? I was definitely a Hulkamaniac as a kid. I think most of us were. And I liked when he went to WCW, but I'll admit during that time, uh, I was playing a lot of sports, baseball, football, basketball, all that stuff. My parents can be pretty active in a lot of sports. So I wasn't watching as often as I would have liked to have been. So I just remember seeing the clips of him going bad and, you know, then coming out in the black gear and then eventually growing out the black beard and stuff. Um, but no, I think the NWO was a, a pivotal, a pivotal, excuse me, a pivotal time in wrestling because that was like kind of like that turn where WCW started getting more attention but then also, like, to me, like, they were so smart because that was such a ma- massive story. But then he starts bringing in, you know, the cruiserweights and Benoit, Guerrero, Jericho, Malenko, all those, like, really good workers. So WCW was kind of winning on both fronts. Is like, wow, this is, like, really good wrestling. But then this is also, like, really exciting. Like, every, it's like everything. Where at the time, the WWF was focusing on some goofy gimmicks. And... I can appreciate that now more as a comedy thing. Like, oh, Duke the Dumpster Drossy or Teal Hopper. That's funny, but it's not really like the greatest stuff, you know? So um, I th- I think um, my favorite Hulk is always going to be red and yellow. But I'll, I always will appreciate Hollywood Hogan for sure because I felt like Hulk really, he knew how to make himself a heel. Like as as good as he was as a baby face. And I think Hulk was one of those guys because he was such a massive star. Taking that bet and going bad is a gamble, but it really gave him a whole lot of like uh rejuvenation for the fan base, I think, because now it's like we got to appreciate him on a whole nother level for those for those years while he was a, a villain. Definitely. Yeah, that was right. I stopped watching in 94. So I basically missed all that. But I totally appreciate all the guys that uh, all the guys I talked to because almost everybody, I, you know, pretty much everybody I've had on the show, they were still watching wrestling and got to experience that. Whereas, whereas I didn't. But, um, but yeah, do you see, uh, 
I don't know. Do you prefer when he was Hollywood Hogan white boots or black boots on him? Which way do you see him as? I always I always like the black boots with like the lightning on them. Yeah, totally. I always thought that was a cool look. Um, there was actually something he was doing in like '96 briefly, and it didn't last long. But I thought, man, as a heel, that's brilliant. He was wearing like this toupee for whatever <laughs> reason. I don't remember why, but he wore it at Halloween Havoc '96. I do remember that. Because Macho Man knocks it off of him and then puts it on himself. And and it's like, it, it's funny because, you know, obviously Hulk was bald. Most of his run, he's bald or very, very thin up top, which is where, like, you know, the bandana and stuff kind of came in. Well, in, in this era, he started wearing, like, the like the little single strap bandana like he wore back in the uh, late 80s. They just, yeah. just said Hollywood on it, but he had this, like blonde, like flat top. And and so it's kind of like, did he get hair plugs? Like what's going on here? Like, but it was like it was such a it was such a heel thing to do because it's like, dude, we know you're bald. Like you're not you're not fooling anybody. But I just it was kind of like when Kurt Angle Kurt Angle did something similar where in 2002 he got his head shaved and then you know he shows up later with this terrible wig and an amateur wrestling headgear to hold it in place. And that was just so funny to me because it's like, <laughs> clearly that's not your hair, but it's such a heel thing, you know, because I think a heel can do, they can do outlandish stuff with us with a straight face and like, no, 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 this is my hair. Like, no, it's not. Come on. You know, but that's what makes it. That's why, again, it's good. It's good heat. It's a good heat getter for someone like Hogan, who people are probably still not sure how to take him yet. Like, is he a bad guy? We're not sure. But it was like you can't you can't not react to something like that. Totally. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. I don't think I've ever seen that. So um shame on me for not. But uh but yeah, it's like I also just found out Bruno San Martino was had it like a weaved in hairpiece for for many years, uh, when he had this kind of big old afro um tall, you know, curlyish hair going on. It was a, mm-hmm. a weaved in hairpiece. So that's that's pretty funny. I, you know, um, I think I think it's probably like a self-conscious thing. Like, oh my gosh, if people think I'm bald, I'm never going to be a star, you know. And so that's probably a big reason why Hulk wore the bandana, you know, the way he did. Yeah, and then luckily now we can just shave our heads if it gets to that point, and we're worried about it. Exactly. Yep. Hey, if we uh, look at our last three 1984 LJNs and. Uh, have you kind of review them? Let me read off your your ratings for the other uh, six real quick, and then we'll start on Iron Sheik. Um, for Big John Stud, he got a three point eight from you. Hillbilly Jim got a four point six. Nikolai Volkov got a two point five. Andre the Giant with the long hair got a two point oh. Jimmy Snuka got a three point five. JYD, I think he's your favorite LJN. He got a four point five. And then uh, what do you think about Iron Sheik? So this was an interesting figure. Um, I love I love this figure. I love the uh, I love the pose. To me, the one arm up, one arm down was always kind of the best LJN because you could kind of hook for a suplex, kind of hook for a DDT. You could kind of do an elbow drop. You could kind of do a few different things. And uh um, but I will say, I feel like Sheik was wearing the trunks more in this era. And, and I've noticed with some of your customs that you do, you actually repaint this with the trunks on, but yeah, here the, he's got, uh, 
Yeah, he only wore the uh, the longer ones. It seemed like for the bigger, more special events. So at, okay. at WrestleMania two, he had trunks like he wore at most of the house house shows. But at WrestleMania the first one and WrestleMania three, he was he was doing these uh, long tights, and they do make one with orange decorations on the front of them. I sent you some pictures of the yellow. You've probably seen them both, but um, but yeah, these longer ones. It seemed like he saved them for special occasions. So. Um, so yeah, he's probably the most challenging custom paint job I've done because it's hard to see in those pictures, or if you don't remember having one physically, the uh, tights where they go down to his calves. There's actually uh, they ex- they're actually physically extended out, so you have to either cut those out or uh, mm-hmm. you know try and hide them in some way. And uh, another guy, Mark Halverson, told me how he did it with just using a like an exacto knife and, and carving it out. So. Uh, he's one of the tougher ones to do. The belt isn't as tough to carve out as those tights down by his calves. But, um, but yeah, I love the figure as well. I I always will give attention to detail, uh, a bigger prop. So the pointed boots, right? The trademark, yes, of, trademark of the chic. Uh, a big fan of that. I love that the boots are two different colors. Um. Didn't I don't believe Iron Sheik had any accessories, but he he did not. But a lot of them didn't. So I I, I don't. I, although the uh, the headpiece would have been fun, I think here. Um, mm. But still, great figure. Um, and honestly, I think as far as his face, they really nailed Sheik pretty well. You know, they kind of gave him like the muscular slightly pudgy body which is that's who the chic was so um no i i love this figure so we're going out of a score of five right yes uh i'm gonna say i'm gonna give iron chic a 4.1 very nice yeah i'm a big fan of the figure i i was just thinking about it a couple weeks ago talked to the uh jeff and scott on fully posable a little bit about it but uh the Iron Sheik was amongst the first five that they released. So they released mm-hmm. five in 1984, and then they released four more. And the first five, there was uh, Big John Stud, Iron Sheik, Jimmy Snuka, Andre the Giant, and Hulk Hogan. And so in those first five, Hulk had the title belt, but the other four, no accessory at all. The next um, four that they released in the line were all the ones that had a more elaborate accessory. So you had Nikolai with a hat, Hillbilly Jim with a hat, uh, Roddy Piper with the kilt, and uh, Junkyard Dog with the dog collar and chain. So I, uh, I was kind of wondering if maybe they had kind of – it had taken a little bit longer to get all the accessories lined up um, on that second four, and maybe that's why they were delayed a bit from the uh, from the other five in the 1984 series. but. Uh, you know, I just thought it was kind of an interesting side note to the 1984 line in general. Well, it's definitely possible. And, you know, if, if people watch the toys that made us, it's still crazy to me that AWA beat them to shelves. So it might have been a thing of like, get these out as soon as possible. Well, these four aren't ready. We don't care. Get out what you have, you know, because we need to compete with with AWA. Yeah, good thought. Definitely. And I know you guys just went over the AWA uh, Renko's. You had uh, your grandma um, got you and uh, got you that big garbage bag, or got you and your cousins that big garbage bag full of LJNs, if I remember correctly. Uh, 
when did you guys start getting the Remco's? Was it around that same time? So Remco's, oddly enough, um, my uh, my grandpa on the other side of my my dad's dad, he uh, he would babysit me. Him and my my grandma on that side of the family would babysit me during the week while my mom was at work, and he would take me to this toy store we had out here called Woolworth, which um, I I have. Are you familiar with that? Oh yeah, Woolworths. That was a big one out here too. Yeah, so we don't have any out here anymore, but they they were they were pretty big uh, at the time. Like was, they had a lot of toys, and I remember getting LJNs there, but I remember getting a lot of Remcos there, and I you know I remember seeing like LJN Series One on the pegs, which I would have been four. So this was like 1989. So yeah. looking back, I kind of wonder maybe if they were getting like dollar store treatment and getting like older stuff. You know what I mean? Because there would have been really no other way I would have seen this on the pegs other than it was secondhand because it had been around and maybe it didn't sell at Toys R Us. So they, you know, sold it for cheap or whatever it might've been. They were a a major one in our small town and they had all the new stuff. They were a great go-to place to get Nintendo games, GI Joe's, uh, they had a frosty machine and like a and a deli inside the store, which I remember an icy. I can't remember if it was frosty or icy. I think it was an icy machine. But uh, but yeah, Woolworths was huge for toys out here, and they had new stuff too. So I wonder if they just uh, got too many of uh, of that uh, the older figures in your town's Woolworths, and they sat on the shelves for years, or or yeah, how that worked. It's very possible that I'm like the only one buying them. You know, I don't know, but. Um, I remember like distinctly getting the fabulous Freebirds three pack there. I I definitely remember buying the fabulous ones because they had the uh, suspenders and the bow ties. Like I remember cool. that very distinctly. Um, this will kind of lead in probably to another guy you're going to ask me about, Rowdy Roddy Piper. I remember having his LJN, a used one, buying a new one from Woolworth. Now, if anyone's wondering why did I buy a brand new figure of someone I already had. Well, he had an accessory and that was yep. why. <laughs> nice. Yeah. You had to get that kilt. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I remember even my grandma was like, you already have that one. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't have the kilt and it was soft goods, man. You didn't see that a lot, especially during uh, the LJN era. So that was a, that was a must buy. Definitely. Yeah. If we look at, uh, well, we can go to um, let's do Hulk Hogan next. What's uh, what are your thoughts on the iconic 1984 LJN Hulk Hogan figure? So I have a lot of thoughts here. The first thing I will say that I don't like about this one, I feel Hulk is a little lanky, and I felt personally like Hulk was a little bit thicker, and Definitely. that's that's always kind of been a thing for me where it's like I don't feel like they. And also, too, being that he's the the guy, you think that would have took an extra care and been like, make sure the Hulk figure is perfect, right? If you have to skimp on Volkov or Sheik, okay, that's fine, but make sure Hulk looks absolutely perfect. Um, so that was a little bothersome to me. Uh, also, this is a little thing, but he had the like skimpiest trunks on that figure. That always bothered me, too, because Hulk was definitely a... Uh, cover up the muffin top with his with his trunks you know he always kind of pulled them up a little high yeah, um, like the mom jeans that are back in style 
<laughs> yeah. So uh, Hulk knew Hulk knew to uh, abs weren't his money, so he wasn't gonna try to show them off. Obviously, so that always was kind of weird to me. Um, the face I thought was pretty good. They captured the stash, you know, and um, the headband was was fun. Um, I always kind of wanted the tearaway shirt, obviously. Um, which we never really got that until probably like Jax or maybe even Mattel where they, they do the Velcro shirt now where you can tear it off. But that was always kind of a weird one to me because that was such an iconic part of H- Hogan's presentation, you know, the ripping the shirt off. Sure. And, um, you know, I, I didn't know how they would do it, but I actually remember um, getting like uh, trash bags and stuff or like Walmart bags and trying to cut them to make a shirt for Hogan so he could rip it off. Um, cool. Just cause, just cause I always thought that that, that aspect of it was super fun. Nice. I hadn't thought of do, about doing that, but good idea. But let's get a score for Hogan. Yeah. I'm going to say, like I said, it's, it's okay, but it certainly could be better. Uh, I'm going to say 3.3. All right, three point three for Hulkster. Yeah, I almost feel like, almost like the uh, Big John Stud, how they made him almost superhero esque. It's like yeah. with uh, with Hogan, they gave him like the this uh, muscles on top of muscles, um, just small waist, uh, big thighs. Uh, he could slam everybody, but yeah, he was nowhere near the as thick as the actual Hulk Hogan was, and uh, yeah muscular in the ribs and in the uh in the abs for sure yeah and like his 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 stance i it looks like it always looked like he was taking a dump to me that, <laughs> the bent knees yep. yep yeah it just it's like like he's like if you put him on a toilet you could put, even put the newspaper in his hand you know like the way his hands were i don't know like <laughs> that was always bothersome the one they did later with the, sh- I think with like the uh, the white shirt, that one was like that was so much more Hulk to me. I'm like, yeah, that- they did a red version and a, a red shirt and a white shirt with the yeah. uh, trunks and the red trunks. So yeah, the uh, that one uh, is you know it, that one was a, a definitely a whole different level as far as uh, matching physically to what the actual Hulk Hogan lo- uh, looked like. Yeah, that one that one I, I always thought was a much better representation. Sweet. And then uh, our last one out of the nine, um, Rowdy Roddy Piper and his LJN. What do you think about that one? So, again, I think this one's great. I love the soft goods kilt. I think that that's perfect. I I really feel like his face is, I mean, granted, these are toys. They're not identical, but it really kind of captures that Piper smirk, right? Like that iconic just Piper kind of like mischievous smile which i i love i love the hot rod shirt um on the down side the belt buckle was always kind of weird to me um considering that his uh his his kilt wasn't molded so the belt buckle always seemed a little odd like okay um yeah they probably should have left that on the kilt or put that as part of the great suggestion yeah, that was always just it just it felt weird. Um and that that was always odd to me. The red tights didn't bother me as much, other than to me it wasn't real accurate as to what he wore. 
And and all and this is a little thing because I noticed it with that new Ultimate Edition or the uh, the Coliseum Collection that's coming out. Uh, they didn't give him the ringer tee, so you didn't get the red neck or sleeves with this. Yeah, that, would... my prayer and, and not prayer, but I mean, what I would hope is the reason that George and Roddy got delayed is they thought. Well, you know, we already made the trunks and the uh, knee pads blue. Let's go ahead and redo a red ringer shirt and have the rings on there and surprise every everybody. And that's why it's delayed instead of some other uh, reason. That would be super cool. Well, yeah, because a friend of mine brought that up. They're like, well, he probably didn't do the ringer T because they're trying to make it like the LJN. But like you said, well, if that's the case, why are the trunks not red? You know, so little thing. Yeah, I know it's, it's not a huge deal, but it's it's enough. Plus, they fixed the hot rod on the uh, the ultimate. They put red in there instead of just having it yellow. So it's like you know they fixed the trunks, the knee pads, and the hot rod logo. Just right. do the red ringers, you know. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Make it make it a little bit better. So um, yeah, for sure. And then, uh, but overall, like I like the pose. Again, I'm a, I'm a sucker for one arm up, one arm down, and um, you kind of you could kind of almost imagine that arm is down. is kind of out to the side a little bit. You can almost imagine he's ripping the kilt off and kind of spinning it around. And as he uh, would often do um, so overall, it's a great figure. There's a few things. Yeah. I would like to change, but ultimately that didn't take the fun out of it or anything, or it didn't make you question because, okay, Oh, that's a slightly different color. Or maybe this detail would have been better overall. It's awesome. Um, one of my favorite things about it is that RP that he uh, carved into the side of each of his boots, like he had yeah, down his yeah. boot. I love that uh, that detail out of the first nine figures. That's probably my if I had to list like one detail that I I think they nailed and and you know attention to detail wise, that would be my favorite. Well, and, and here's another thing too. And this is off topic, but I know a lot of people criticize the Hasbro Ric Flair because of the crazy face that he has. Yeah. And, and everyone's like, oh, I don't really like that as good. And I'm like, but think about it. We don't have any Ric Flair with a crazy face. That's the only one. And that, to me, is trademark Ric Flair. Like, yes, you have the stoic pose, but you also have insane crazy Ric Flair going nuts in a promo. And that's cool that that figure kind of represents that look. So um, I think it's good to have a, have the variety. So. Yeah, um, the big rubber, uh, the big rubber guys where he's in his uh, promo suit. I want to say his mouth is open and screaming. You know, big crazy promo, Ric Flair. Oh yeah, well, like I, I, I go back to WrestleMania eight when he loses the title to Macho Man and he's just ranting and raving and screaming and bloody. It's like that's fantastic stuff. So, uh, yeah, I give me crazy Ric Flair face all day. I love it. Um, but yeah, the Piper figure, like I said, it has its slight faults but overall it's great um not a lot i would necessarily want to change so i will say i'll give this one 4.4 very cool that might be a uh a steve hoker uh shirt for you to to ask him to do is give me crazy rick flair face all day <laughs> <laughs> well it, what's funny is there's a super nintendo game called uh, wwf royal rumble and if you yeah. select rick flair it's that same face from the Hasbro figure. People realize like, ah, that must've been the still shot they got. And that's why they did that. But yeah, to me, I love that face. I think it's, I think it's perfect for an, a Hasbro because the Hasbros for the most part, all kind of had 
open mouth screaming like ah like type of faces so it makes sense that you would give rick flair that face or like a woo face or something totally um brian i really want to thank you for uh being on my show all these times and rating all these nine figures and and helping me out as far as uh, my own podcasting advice needs um i truly appreciate your participation and uh and all that you do in the podcast world i I get to listen to your shows as well so uh shout out to tv toy cast with you and jeff currently shout out to the saturday morning rumble wheel um and then you've got a uh you've got breaker and baines coming back sometime soon don't you tell us uh tell me a little bit about that show since i haven't checked it out yet uh, well, that was kind of the first podcasting venture I ever had, and um, that started in actually 2014, believe it or not, a long time ago. And uh, I I did a I did a podcast with someone. I thought it was really fun. Um, it was just like, wow, that was super cool to be able to talk about whatever. And we talked a little bit about wrestling and and various things. And I I hit up Bane, who was a, a longtime friend of mine, who was in he was doing music. And, but he's also a wrestling fan. And I was like, well, that might be an interesting dynamic, a musician and a wrestler talking wrestling. Like, that might be kind of fun. And the show's kind of changed, obviously, as they do from, you know, well, let's go this route, let's go that route. But we um, we honestly both just, I think, needed a break from it. We've done over 400 episodes, and um, we were ju- I think we were both just kind of worn out, and we were having a hard time getting it scheduled. And... Oftentimes when you're, when you're busy, it's just, it's just hard. And you're just like, I just don't have time. And, or you have to sacrifice other things to do it. And that's kind of a, a difficult thing to say, I'm going to sacrifice going to my nephew's football game so I can record this podcast where you kind of lose sight of your priorities to a degree. So anyway, um, we kind of put it on hold and I think we're going to try to figure out what we want to do. And I, and I pitched him an idea of like, what if we did like, you know, a season of shows, like say we're going to do a new season, say 15 episodes, each one will have a topic. And once those are done, we'll take another break and we'll come back and do another season, say in six months or so. And uh, he seemed to like the idea. So that's kind of the, uh, the game plan. We haven't recorded anything yet, but hopefully we will be soon. That's awesome. Yeah. You got, you were still in your twenties when you started that show, my friend. Yep. Yeah, I know. That was wild. <laughs> well, to put it in perspective, the first like three episodes were all about what the WWE network was going to be like because they just announced that it was going to debut in like 2014. And so it had all this hype, but we didn't know if it was going to be any good. And it was awesome, as most people realize. And of course, now that it's went away and it's on Peacock, everyone's like, oh man, that network was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like you say, with the, uh... You know, music and wrestling. I mean, you were born at the height of the rock and wrestling era, and uh, yeah. you had a podcast that started based with the, some rock and wrestling. So very cool. Oh, for sure. Hey, uh, again, thanks so much for being on the show, and uh, I hope you have a, a really great birthday. It, uh, we'll probably drop this on your actual birthday. So uh, uh, thanks so much for all the entertainment you provide and uh, all that you do for the community, my friend. Hey, Brian, I appreciate it a lot, man. I'll, I'll definitely have you on TV Toycast again soon. I still need to drop that episode, actually. And uh, uh, I, like I said, I, I love your show. I love the positive um, 
presence you have on the X now, or what used to be Twitter. Uh, I feel, I personally feel this way. Um, I know it's easy for people to get down on social media and talk about how negative it is. It's a cesspool. It's this and that, and it can be for sure. But at the same time, like it brightens my day to see you paint up a junkyard dog that you showed today, which was incredible by the way. And that like, that's what it's about, right? Like you're just out there sharing your content, having fun, meeting friends. And to me, it's a cool thing. And so, yeah, I know, I know social media can be negative. It certainly can, but, um, but me and you are a prime example. Wouldn't be talking to each other without something like Twitter, you know? So to me, it's, it's, it's still a cool thing. I totally agree. Thanks again so much, Brian. And, uh, have a great rest of your week. I listen. I look forward to listening to the next uh, TB Toycast and the next Saturday Morning Rumble Wheel. Awesome. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. And uh, everyone out there, thanks for listening. And uh, take care. Well, Brian, that was one great episode with uh, Brian Breaker. Yeah, I thought that was uh, a lot of cool stories. It definitely was. Uh... I know you got things to say, so I will just say happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Brian Baker. Happy birthday to you. You get five stars for all your appearances on legendary wrestling figures. Thank you so much for being on the show, Brian. Well done, Andre. Um, everybody should listen to Brian Breaker's podcast. He's on TB Toycast with Jeff Toon. He is also on the Saturday Morning Rumble Wheel with Daniel Cross. Thanks so much for being on my show, Brian. Really appreciate you. I believe I'll be uh, on an episode of TB Toycast with Brian soon as well, uh, one we recorded a little while back. And uh, And yeah, by all means, happy birthday, Brian. Uh, thanks for all that you do for the community. Um, along with Brian, I want to thank a few other friends of the show and the guests. So I just want to say a uh, big thanks to Tommy Fierro um, from uh, ISPW, the Wrestling Collector, and 80s Wrestling, the podcast. Also thanks to Steve Hoker, guy who has uh, Starman NJ, the shirt store on T Public, where you can get shirts and stickers and magnets and all kinds of cool stuff uh, from uh, a lot of our favorite podcasts out there. Uh, Diego in Florida, thanks for all your support, Diego. Diego is a big part of the CHC community, which is collectors helping collectors. So guys that might not see something they're trying to get a hold of in their town, this group of guys will go out and uh, shop for it, buy it at cost, ship it out for cost plus shipping, and a uh, really cool thing that you can find on X or on Twitter. It's um, Diego is, uh, like I say, a big, help, big part of CHC. Uh, Magnificent Matt out in Massachusetts, thanks for your support. Uh, Dylan at the Wrestling Figure Database, thanks for all that you do, Dylan. Love that site, and uh, thanks for helping me out in the past. Uh, Richard Land of the History of WWE.com, I use uh, the History of WWE.com all the time to look up old match results, and a lot of times I'll post LJNs pretty much every morning with something that I uh, researched from Richard Land. Um, along with that, uh, Rob out in New Jersey. Thanks for the support, Rob. Uh, Jason Wolf, thanks for uh, some LJNs that you gifted to me, which I have been able to uh, 
use a couple now to repaint and gift to other people. Very kind of you, Jason. Love all that you do with your custom figures. Uh, the Art of Jason Wolf is what you want to check out on Twitter to see all the awesome stuff that Jason does. Uh, Eric Elliman, another friend out there on Twitter. Thanks very much. Um, the rest of my guests that have been on the show, Jumping Jay from 80s Wrestling, the podcast. Uh, that last episode I had was, with Jay was uh, was super fun. That was uh, just our, our last episode that was out, but he's been uh, a great guest on all the episodes I've had, had him on, as have everyone. Uh, Drew Vensel from Tales from the Estate. So listen to uh, 80s Wrestling or 80s Wrestling, the podcast with Jumping Jay and uh, Tommy Fierro, and listen to uh, Drew Vensel from uh, Tales from the Estate with Caitlin. Um, thanks so much for uh, being on the show so many times and all the support you give me, Drew. Really appreciate you. Uh, my best friend, Eric. Hope that you're uh, still having a great vacation and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Um, Tim from Pulling Up a Chair. Thanks for all the support that you give me, Tim. I really appreciate you. Uh, if anybody wants to check out Pulling Up a Chair, Tim's got a great podcast uh, with a lot of uh, older episodes with guests, very similar, talking fandom with them and, and wrestling figures, so very similar to what I do. Uh, I'm on that most recent one, I believe, and uh, and then he's got many before that. The Halloween episode in particular was a fun one that I checked out, and uh, Drew Vensel is also on there, so check that out as well. Um, Totowatom. Now, Totowatom in New Jersey, I look forward to having him back on. We'll talk about ISPW. Uh, Totowatom even has a segment on a YouTube channel. I think it's called Wrestling with Savage, so you can see Totowatom in, in action if you search for that on YouTube and you want to see uh, Tom having a, a short segment. Uh, Mark Halverson up in Canada. Uh, Mark doesn't have a podcast, but he's been on a few of my episodes. Great guest. Uh, love all that you do, Mark, uh, with the LJN customizing and helping me out and um, the advice that you've had and your friendship. And you can listen to Mark's wife's uh, podcast. Um, so they have a, uh, she and her friend have a podcast called Buried Motives, and it's a true crime pro uh, podcast. They try to keep the language clean, and they get uh, they get pretty deep and do their homework and research on uh, buried motives. So if you know anybody that likes to listen to true crime podcasts, check out Mark Halverson's wife's podcast, Buried Motives. Uh, Evan Ginsberg, uh, thanks so much for being a guest, Evan. Evan has some uh, fascinating stories to tell on the three episodes I've had him on, and he's the senior editor of Pro Wrestling Stories. He's also the associate producer of The Wrestler in 350 Days, so great stories from Evan. Uh, Nate from Ring Skirts. I'm looking forward to talking to Nate again soon on the show. Uh, if you ever need a uh, ring skirt for your wrestling ring, for your action figures, you can find Nate at, uh, at Ring Skirts on Twitter. Uh, Jeff and Scott the Fully Posable podcast. Uh, thanks so much. I was just on a, an episode of their show. That was super fun. Um, it's like uh, like I grew up with those guys. we got so much in common. Uh, Jeff also hosts uh, a TV Toycast with Brian Breaker. Uh, but Jeff and Scott is the longest-running uh, episodic wrestling figure podcast, and if you don't listen to it, you really should. Um, thanks to all you guys so much for uh, all the support and uh, and participation. I really appreciate everyone out there. Um, hope everybody uh, has a great week. Take care.